six-pack double feature presents Pick 6, where the guys round out a top five list with one extra. Horror, sci-fi, crappy sequels, all the titles you know and love, plus beer. Tell us your picks, guys. Oh, man. Tell us your picks. Well, we've got some picks for you. I more than picked my nose. I got a pick. You can pick your friends and you can pick, pick your, your nose, nose, but you can't pick your friends. No. Correct. You can also pick your butt. We do have some picks for you this week. Uh, way more than six on each side, I would dare say, because I'll bet we both misunderstood the assignment here. Well, yeah, because I, at one point I thought maybe we were on the same page, and then I send you another thing, and I said, hey, you know be good? What that? Our last pick six do double features. I did. And so that's what I – and I thought you had given me a thumbs up or, yeah, okay, or what – I mean, you don't actually do thumbs up because you don't do any uh, emojis. Rarely. But very rarely. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, so I did six double feature pairings as my – Jesus Christ. But so you've got 12 on your side. I got 12 movies, but, you know. I've got uh, two double features on my side, and I did more of a potpourri. Yeah, I don't know how I'm, we're going to label this by the time we're done. Pick six potpourri, I think, is the best way. Vol- or uh, volume two, because uh, that's pick six series finale, maybe. Pick six. This is a six picks of twelve picks. Eighteen or so movies. <laughs> twenty, round about twenty. About two. Rounded four? off at twenty. So, rounded, so, rounded off at twenty-one. Twenty. So, twenty. So two four. About twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite a rack. Uh. We are serious this time. This is our uh, series finale for uh, pick, pick six. Pick sixes. Uh, we just there were a few movies uh, that we wanted to talk about individually or collectively that uh, we just uh, weren't going to do in the uh, traditional the double feature double format. feature format because it's a lot of. So we thought we'd crunch them down because there are some that I wanted to talk about that Nathan never wanted to ever mention. <laughs> Uh, I feel like we should have done that homework one where it would have been interesting. That would have been, yeah, that would have been a lot yeah, of animosity. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've got I've got a couple uh, double features uh, that I think would uh, that would pair up for like a good, you know, a date night or a hangout, have some friends over, or whatever. I've got. A couple Friday night movies, a Saturday night movie. Nice. One that I may or may not have talked about already. Uh, and then I've got a Venn diagram. But guess what? We'll talk about it again a if little we bit. Did. Yep. And then uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. So I, I feel like my pick six selections, my my six double features. You've probably seen. I probably have. You've probably seen nine, give or take, between eight and nine of of the twelve movies that will be listed here. You may have seen all of them. I don't know. It's very possible. Is Christopher Nolan featured at all? Uh, with one movie. <sighs> then probably not. All of them. <laughs> Unless it's The Dark Knight. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may have been one of them that you may not have seen. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, that said, Nathan, for the final time, you've won the coin toss. What is your number six? Uh, my number six is the When You Can't Watch Heat double feature. Okay. Or or subtitle of this one is or I just watched Heat and I want to watch uh, some more movies that are very similar to that. If you liked Heat, you might also you enjoy. might also enjoy this. And so I picked uh, Collateral, which is another Michael Mann movie. Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx Jamie is the Fox. cab driver. I almost and said Tom Hanks and Jamie Farr. <laughs> would not have been a different movie. That would have been. <laughs> and I also picked The Town, which was Ben Affleck, 
Mm -hmm. uh, Boston Crime Caper. Uh, <clears throat> for those that don't know, I'll kind of give a brief description of, of each movie. But Collateral, I, I pulled this from the IMDb, IMDb's description. It says, a cab driver finds himself the hostage of an engaging contract killer as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in Los Angeles. And I remember going seeing that in the theater. Not Chicago, huh? No, L.A. Oh, okay. He shoots a lot of stuff in Los Angeles, even though he is originally from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, I think this was the first film that he shot on some type of digital uh, camera, not actual okay. film. Jamie Foxx plays an older character. Right? Like, he's he plays older than he is actually. Uh, I don't know. He looks just Jamie Foxx age. Okay. He doesn't look aged up. Okay. I'll put it you that way. But I just feel like this is another Michael Mann movie worth highlighting for those who want something else similar to heat its scope is narrower than heat um but the emphasis on tension and action as well as the exploration of morality and lack thereof among the criminals makes it very comparable um i think tom cruise shines really well as a rare villain because he doesn't usually play villains sure sure um and i think that him paired up against jamie fox and forcing him to basically first it's hey can I rent you all night? I think he wants to pay him like 600 bucks or whatever. Like, what do you normally pull down in a night? He's talking to him and he's like, I don't know, three, 350. He's like, I'm going to give you 600 bucks if you can be my cab for the night. And of course, at that time, he has no idea that Cruz is like, I got like four or five like hits that I got to take care of before I fly back out to LAX at the end of the night slash right. early the next morning. And it's slowly revealed after like one or two, like, oh shit, something's off. So is it sort of a play on you picked up a hitchhiker and he slowly reveals that he's fucking psychotic? Uh, yeah, and to a degree, yes. But this with this one, you don't really know until a dead body lands on his car because he got thrown out of a window of a second floor like apartment. Yeah, and uh, and Jamie freaks out, but. It just goes really well. There's this like very increasing unsettling night that just kind of ramps up. And once Fox knows what's going on and he's kind of forced into it because he can't really get out of it, um, it's it, it's really good just you see his perspective and, you know, Cruz being as Cruz is but the consummate professional and learned all of the things of how to – handle a gun and do this and do that. And like, like there, there are these details that Michael Mann puts in his movies where those types of characters, they really focus in like the actress really focus in on if this guy was a contract killer, he would do this and he would do this and he would do this. And so he trained really well. And so it's very Like I've, I've seen videos where people will watch it and go, he's very accurate to the type of, character that he would be if this was his job this is how he would sure this is how he would detached move yeah things like that and how he handles the weapon and how he does this and how he would handle the crowd when he's in the, this nightclub and taking somebody out or or whatever but i just there's just them kind of going against each other it's got a really good soundtrack which oftentimes michael mann does a pretty good job with on sure. with his films um, but it's really good but I would pair it with Ben Affleck's The Town, where it's a proficient group of thieves rob a bank and hold Claire, the assistant manager, hostage, and things begin to 
get complicated when one of the crew members falls in love with Claire. <laughs> and so the town is probably easily up there as one of Ben Affleck's better pictures that he's put is together. In Boston? It is. Okay. But it, it works really well. And so it puts a modern spin <clears throat> on a classic kind of crime heist movie and those types of tropes, but being about a group of bank robbers and and one robber's unique relationship with a hostage that may prove to be everyone else's undoing. Um, and so with the law constantly breathing down their neck, I think John Hamm is an FBI agent that's trying to track them down. It's really good. So um, it's, it's decently recent? Uh, I think it's maybe about 10 years old. Okay. It's about, I think it came out in around 2010, something like that. Um, and while the town focuses more on the criminals than it does the cops compared to Heat, they do a really good job of balancing that out. And I think it's... It's really good and Does really tight. Affleck directed as well? Yes. Is he in it? Yes. Eh, strike one. <laughs> Depends on the movie for me with, with Affleck, but yeah. I get it. Yeah. Okay. But Who else is in that other than uh, Affleck and John Hamm? Uh, Jeremy Renner is in his crew. Hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the actress that plays. Claire? Claire, but... That's probably how they say your name, too. Claire. Claire. Uh, I was trying to do Claire from Lost. The Australian. <laughs> okay. The okay. Australian um, I went ahead and got mine out of the way with number six, Casino and Goodfellas. It's a, uh, I mean, that's not a that's not a Friday or Saturday night pairing. That's a. Uh, yeah, that's my number four, so let's discuss. Cool. <laughs> um, that's going to take up most of your day. It is. Yeah, that'd be more Casino like Casino is uh, long, too, yeah. compared to Goodfellas. I mean, they both move fast, even for a longer movie, because sure. of how he edits those. They would, they, that'd be more like a uh, holiday weekend or, you know, sick sick day or rainy day. Yeah. Fuck like, it. I'm not, it's just, let's, hey, you know what? I, I put this down on Mike, the Martin Scorsese Mafia double feature, and then I put... Oh, my subtitle is like, I really love Goodfellas, but what if you put the cast in Las Vegas? <laughs> or two-thirds of the cast, and since you don't have... Changed it around just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my favorite Scorsese is probably always going to be Taxi Driver, but followed immediately through the door by Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas is my favorite, and then followed immediately by the door is usually Taxi Driver, because it's and it's, then, it's a different Casino was like an epic, almost. Like it you came said, out... I remember seeing it the same winter as seeing Heat because it came out in like the Christmas time yeah, era, yeah, yeah. Uh, of 95. So those are two big like What What movies. often happens with Casino and Goodfellas is it's like, oh, it's the same movie. And it's like, it's not the same movie. There are similarities. Sure, because it's, 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 it's Italian crime dudes. Yeah. Uh, but also he used the same two main actors yeah. for it, which – Kind of got. I mean, he's always he's he he always has done that. He has a stable of people that he uses, and it changes, you know, kind of through the eras. Because now he's in his DiCaprio. Yeah. Uh, well, his late late day DiCaprio. Yeah. He ain't no spring chicken. Anymore. No, he's not. And it's interesting too to see De Niro play two completely polar opposite types of characters. Yeah. Where he plays the... while, while Pesci plays the same character. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pesci plays the same character. He's more Charlie of a... fucking M. He's almost more of an asshole in Goodfellas. Not Goodfellas. Uh, Casino. He's a more. Um... He he has more of a code of conduct as uh, Tommy. Yeah. In 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 Goodfellas. And I can't, Correct. I can't think of his name. I, Nikki. Nikki. Yeah, Nikki in uh, Casino. His code of contact got him so good until he got killed. Yeah. It, well, Nikki's Nikki's not a good guy. Nikki's at all. a piece Tommy's, of shit. Tommy's not, not a good guy any either. Better either. They have that. They have that Goodfellas code. Yeah. 
Uh, and Nikki doesn't seem to. The most disturbing scene out of either. Nikki's of those willing two- to break rules against the mafia while yeah. in Vegas. And the most disturbing scene in either of those two movies and all those hours of footage is when they're beating the fuck out of his brother in the desert. He makes him watch his brother die before he kills and him. Then he, and then he's not dead. He no, buries he's him alive. Buries him and alive. they throw the dirt on him. And that, that, that was in another pick six we talked about. That, that prosthetic, <laughs> that prosthetic, they puff the air out of its mouth just enough to oh, see it. Yeah. And then they cover him and it's like, oh, God. Could you imagine is... being shot to death but you're not dead yet? And I had to, oh, they to beat him to death yet. with fucking oh, ball That's bats. what it was, yeah. Yeah, they, they beat him with ball bats dude they had to cut that scene down significantly to get an r rating too. yeah oh well, yeah um, <laughs> out in the cornfields or wherever it was i think oh god casino is dirtier well it's about vegas so it's going to be it dirtier is. and sleazier and grittier and just but it's still not the better movie no. fellows is the better movie but what's nice is you also get sharon stone in her prime in god she is awful in that movie in casino She's great. I'm sorry. Her, oh, she's her, an awful character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's she's her awesome. Car- <laughs> Sharon Stone is great in the movie. Her her yes. character is is terrible. Is a piece of shit. Here's a nice piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a whole movie full of pieces of shit. Pretty much. Um, he just he knows how to make an incredible film, and he really knows how to make an incredible gangster film. And so pairing well, those, he did. Yeah. And putting those two together, it's just like now watching it, like I was blown away with, with the way Casino starts. And there's that he gets in his car and there's the explosion. And it comes out. The fire comes out. Yeah. And there's that whole thing. But I, when I've watched it now recently, you can now tell when it cuts before and there's a dummy in the car right before oh, the car yeah. explodes. Yeah. I never noticed it when you're – the first time you're watching you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. What's going on? Why is he flying through the air? And now... <laughs> But uh, – Plus, yeah, one, really of the, one of the best things about Casino is Joe Bob Briggs is in it. Oh, that's right. He's the nephew of the, like, senator or something. He's running the... Uh, uh, he's, the he's, no, he's the nephew of the... Uh, yeah, he's some, some politician. Some higher-up politician, politician the, yeah. Uh, and the politician is played by the sidekick from Lone Wolf McQuaid. That's right. Uh, Colonel that's... Sanders from Lone Wolf McQuaid. Well, Mr. Rothstein, I guess uh, I didn't notice... <laughs> Either you're too stupid or you're in on it. Either way, I can't have you around. Yeah, and completely legitimate in in the reaction, but it's still it's his, it's a bit of Rothstein's downfall because he kicks him out and yep. fires. Yeah, him. exactly. Brings the gambling commission down on him. It does. All right, Casino Goodfellas. That's my uh, that's my sixth entry in my uh, potpourri. It's a double feature. We'll say that's my number five. Sure. So. Be then my number five then? Yeah, go to number five and then I'll go to my number four. We'll talk about a diametric shift in barometric pressure or whatever. <laughs> but my number five is fucking Bloodsport. The, 19, the 1988, yep, the 1988 <laughs> canon Jean-Claude Van Damme classic. I watched that a couple years ago. Probably think it may have been through COVID. Oh, we, watch it, we watch it at least once a year. Oh, I'm sorry. We have no <laughs> way, dude. It's the movie that made, uh, it's, it's the movie that kind of cemented Van Damme as whatever he was going to be. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, There's so much. It's that is a full on Winchester, Indiana factory town Friday night movie, man. I get it. That makes sense. Depending Um, on your age, it's either uh, sodas, Nintendo pizza and blood sport or uh, beer, weed, pizza and blood sport. sport. Um, 
Is that the one that has turned into the 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 gif or the meme of his weird dancing, or is that from a different movie? That's Kickboxer. That's Kickboxer. The okay. the the gif, the meme that you get from this is him like with his eyes like like he's looking through time or whatever, right? Because uh, Chung Lee blinds him with a salt tablet. That's right. Yeah, Master uh, Chung. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a canon movie, so you can't go wrong. Um, that is a canon movie, isn't it? It's like a martial arts movie, but it has more of a plot than um, a lot of martial arts movies from the mid-late 80s. Who is it that's also in it? The te- Forrest Whitaker. Texas Cobb. Te- isn't he? Uh, uh, you're I- thinking of Donald Gibb. No, I don't think so. You are. Either. The big, big white Is that his guy. name of his character? No. Uh, Ray Jackson. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Jackson? You look like a Jackson. You must be Frank Dux. Uh, it's Dukes. Oh, like put up your Dukes, right? That's <laughs> exactly how it plays out. Because I remember thinking, like, how did the guy go from like having, I said, like, I've only seen it like twice. Man. More than twice for you, it sounds like. <sighs> Easily. <laughs> I've probably seen that movie 20 fucking times. And what's, I don't know if you know this or not, but what's funny about that is the, the guy that he's playing, it's supposed to be based on a true story. That's what I heard. And none, none of, of it, it is. None of, though, the guy is such a fucking charlatan. Okay. Like. I mean, he did like uh, Frank. Frank Dukes is a real guy. I don't know if it's his real name or not, but uh, he he was like the technical advisor on this. And then when you read at the end, like they do a, a, a freeze frame and they list all of his stats, and there's no way he could have like just based on the amount of time that exists, you know, that's in, right in, in a lifetime that he could have accomplished. Any of that, uh, maybe, maybe some maybe, of it, but not yeah. all of it. And I didn't, I didn't go through the trouble of writing down all the discrepancies, but <laughs> it might also be could be called full of shit sport. <laughs> it's still like whether the guy's lying or not. Okay, he made a great, you know, just a fun little Friday night movie kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, I get it. That um, would have been a that would have been a Lisa's dad. Like that would have been a Jerry Graves like Friday night or Saturday night rental movie. So oh, dude, that's so probably good. why we watched it. Because yeah. sometimes I'll be like, find something on uh, Max or Netflix or whatever that something that your dad would have watched. And sometimes he'll, she'll grab like a Seagal movie because that's something that he would have picked. Yeah, I'm like I don't. Lean I just toward, hate. I just hate Seagal. I don't lean towards Seagal movies, but if if it if it's honoring her dad, we'll sometimes do that, and I always sure. find that fun. I mean, Seagal had a couple that were like. In the mid '90s, early yeah. mid '90s, they were okay. They're okay, but yeah, most. of But if I'm watching, garbage. if I'm watching any of those garbage martial arts movies, it's going to be yeah. Van Damme. If I'm watching a Steven Seagal movie, I'm watching something from the late '80s to early '90s, yeah. and that's Michael about Dud- it. Michael Dudikoff's good too. American Ninja, that whole series, is pretty good. It's just fight porn. <laughs> it's just ninja fight porn. The okay. plot is like, you kill my brother, and then fight. fight. Go, go here and fight. I've heard the general is here, and we go here and fight. Finish him. Yeah, it's great. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies were great through till he started to try to become Schwarzenegger when he tried to get into like the American market, American market. Like, dude, just be the just be, be the Rolling, who you are. Be the Rolling Stones to his Beatles. That's it's why fine, he did. Dude. Yeah, that's why he's kind of not disintegrated, but it definitely shifted to the video on demand, uh, straight to video, poking fun at himself. Yeah, yeah. which again, yeah, I, I, uh, it's called. Can't remember. The name. It was a stars show that he had for a couple seasons where he played himself 
he was like a double secret agent, but he was also a movie star. So wherever he was shooting, like okay. it was fucking funny, dude. You'd like it. Oh, uh, there's he's a scene. Pa- where- he's just past the point where he actually can make fun of himself now. Is yeah, that what he's it is? playing. Okay. He's playing Tom Sawyer. <laughs> so he's in a karate fight with some dude while he's painting a picket fence. Oh my god! And he's god. dressed like Tom Sawyer. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous, dude. You should uh, check, it, check out. it out. Oh man. Anyway, uh, I don't know. We've probably touched on it a time or two, but Bloodsport is my number five. Um, my number four double feature is the I'm up to no I'm up to no good during non business hours double feature or subtitle. While I'm not the bad guy in this movie, I tend to do bad things for a living. <laughs> okay. I chose Thief and Drive. Oh, those are good movies. Um, very similar movies. Yeah, very similar movies. I'm like. Uh, the brief synopsis of Heath is, of, of Thief is an ace safecracker wants to do one last big heist before going straight. It's a Michael Mann movie, but and that's a Michael Mann movie. And it's like you never see it on a list of Michael Mann's. No, it's person. often overlooked, and it's his first feature. Is that why? Yeah. Man- oh, sometimes, yeah. Manhunter was 86. This was 81. Oh, was it 81? I thought yeah, I, yeah. I had 85 in my head. And he had already okay. had a career in the 70s as a television writer. Um, it's just as good as Manhunter. Yeah, it's, and it's Drive a, Drive pulls so much of its everything. From it's one. Of, it's Michael one of uh, the director, writer, director uh, Nicholas Wenfin, whatever. I can't remember Mr. his name. <laughs> one of his one of the three or four movies that he used as inspiration to to create Drive was okay. Thief. But um, I said it just shows how. Man's unique talents were already formed when he did Thief upon entering the world of just feature film directing. And it's just um, – it's a really confident crime thriller. And you get a great performance from Jimmy Kahn. Oh, yeah. And it's just – he's just a no bullshit kind of guy. And once he gets screwed over – and I'm sure I used like – I think I used Thief with like a – uh, on another pick six for like villain speeches or whatever. You when did, he, yeah. yeah. And so there's just that, there's that one scene too, where he's sitting down with, uh, was it Tuesday? Weld or whatever, his love interest mm-hmm. of the movie. And he's like, I wear $150 slacks. I wear this. I wear that. I'm a thief. I am not a, like a banker. I don't do this. I, this is what I do. And let's, let's be on the line here. This is what I am. And I'm interested in you, you know, are you interested in me? And it's just, he plays that role so well, and it's it's such a tight script in uh, – I think most of it takes place in Chicago. I think they do one yeah. or two locations where a job is somewhere else, whether it's Florida is or not, California. Uh, is not um, – who else is on his crew? Uh, yes. William Peterson? No. William Peterson um, – is a bartender in that movie. It's okay. like a cameo. Like a, I have a cameo. It's just a very, very, very small role. It's okay. um, the Blues Brothers' brother who died from shooting up an eight oh, His brother. God, uh, I can't think of his name now. John Belushi. Um, Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi is on his crew. I always get their names mixed up. Belushi? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, he's on his crew. He only has like one or two on his. He has a very small, tight crew, kind of the way Neil McCauley does on Heat. And so it's what's really fun with how Thief opens is like he's just cracking a safe with that drill. And it's just that Tangerine Dream soundtrack that yeah. plays. It's just so fun to watch these movies. Like I I'd, I'd kind of put it down here before where I just love the deep dive of movies 
um, that kind of peels back the multiple layers on these types of characters where you just focus in on, on a person and they're one very like specific job. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and so like with Drive, he's a Hollywood stunt driver, but he also does getaway drives for criminals at night. Yeah. And that's how that movie opens. And then he catches feelings for a chick. Yeah, yeah. He gets his feelings for, how they get for you, a man. girl. Uh, he does. He decides to do a like the girl in his apartment complex. His her husband gets back from jail, but has to do a job, and he decides to do the getaway, be the getaway driver for them, and all shit goes and south he gets because shot, of that. Right, the husband gets shot. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, we watched it not long after it was available on demand or whatever yeah it's good netflix that's what yeah I to say. don't expect i think the only thing that people get pissed and, and upset about that movie is they're expecting a lot more driving to happen which does not happen in this movie there's not, one really good chasing but it is quick yeah it's it's a, and you're hoping for more but you don't get it there's not a lot a of dialogue either yeah he's he's the uh strong silent type type of character it's fucking it's real good yeah that's that's a good pick and that's a good pair yeah and they both don't end on great nope notes um, you know, basically Khan's character, I mean, these movies are old enough. I'm not going to necessarily spoil them, but you know, Khan's character, he just blows up everything at the end. Like, fucking, I'm done. You know, he kills everybody that wronged him and, <clears throat> and he's done. And then the other one, you don't know whether or not the driver, like they, I don't think they ever give him his name no. in, in drive. And so like he gets fucked up just enough and you don't know he drives off but he also got kind of gutted a bit yep. stabbed in the stomach and did you he don't make it, did, did he, he not? make it did yeah. he not make it yeah you have no idea um another kind of pairings that work really good where you have these these people that are um they have a very specific field of their job would also be like um De Palma's blowout where he's a sound guy um it's it's really it's like early 80s as well maybe in the same year as the thief and then the conversation which was gene hackman sure there it's just a very narrow field where it's just really fascinating to kind of watch and that would also be the same one where they get pulled into a world where some type of murder and cover-up happens and then all shit is off the table now it's really good so that's my number four my number four is another uh, you're going to call it a downshift, but plenty of people like it because they're as we as we sit here and talk about it, they're about to release like a three or four mega release Blu-ray. Is it 4K, a Police Academy something? Whatever. No, oh. I wish we talked uh, about that, so I don't. I didn't know mega disc something package of Super Mario Brothers '93. <laughs> Are they really? Oh yeah, dude. There's I, I've I've listened to a few other. I always told Nathan the last episode of this show should be us talking about Mac and Me and Mario Brothers '93. And because they're both terrible garbage movies. <laughs> but when was the last time you watched Mario Brothers '93? Oh God. Okay, probably in '93, '94. So just like with Halloween Three, take the fucking Michael Myersness. Try to try to take that out of your brain and look at it as just a weird movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking. It's also really hard right now to find anywhere too. Oh, I think I didn't DVD, you? I no, DVD no, but I mean, like, you can't really stream it anywhere. And you found it in, like best purchase I made when you sent a message to me. I don't know, several months back. It was like a four ninety nine. Yeah, like DVD. DVD yeah, I mean, it's there's nothing to it. You put it in, and it's like play start. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh. 
the so the, a few podcasts I've listened to uh, in the last couple of months about it. Um, Talk about how terrible the production went on it. I know that the production much. went bad, but the production what they spent on it like all Nintendo wanted was licensing rights. Nintendo was like, we like this. I'm sure it was in Japanese, but we like this. Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Yeah. Do this, uh, but you you don't get any. Like, we're going to license it. We're going to do the fucking action figures and shit are not easy to find. And they're super, like, expensive if they're in good shape because yeah. they made action figures for it. But evidently only in Japan. But they went with, like, there was so many they different. They went with, like, a really dark... Blade Runner. Yeah. They used Blade Runner as, as part of their, their inspiration for I think that, Dino if Earth. I remember correctly, they used Blade Runner, like the possibly the set designer or art designer, you art know where it was director. Filmed? The Dark World shit, the Dino World shit, you know where it was filmed? Where? Wilmington, Delaware. Same place as a shitload of Canon films, Ninja Turtles. Interesting. Yeah, that's that big abandoned concrete thing that every fucking Canon movie has used. They dressed it up to make it a Dino Hatton. Uh, oddly prescient in uh, depicting the uh, quasi dystopian leader, you know who he uses as inspiration. Who? Donald uh, Donald Trump <laughs> is who Dennis Hopper. Oh, okay. Uses yeah, his yeah. inspiration for. I King can Cooper. see that. Yeah, uh, thirty fucking years before, or twenty five years before, whatever. Long enough. Um, there's a lot that you know as a twelve year old. I was like, what in the... F- this is not what I thought it was going to be, but I still like it. Because <laughs> it's, it's it's not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, it's not surprising that you like shit garbage. It's not shit garbage, man. <laughs> it's cha- it challenges you to Does imagine... It? Yeah. It challenges so me the to idea not want to watch it. The idea, <laughs> the idea... You should watch it at least one more time through, through that... Um, it's like I said here. Yeah, I've, I'm reading my notes now. It suffers from the Halloween three syndrome. A different title would have would have helped us a lot. I'm instead sure of, you're right. Instead of calling it Mario Brothers, or having it relate to Mario Brothers at all, which it almost has no relation other than the names. you could you could drop the names. Just dropping nomenclature alone would probably divorce it from. Yeah, because that's what you said about. Halloween three, you're like there. I fixed it when you put your hand over Halloween sure. three and it just call it Season of the Witch. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I mean, just like don't name the characters Mario and Luigi, and really, just it's mostly it's character names, and you know uh, the the name of the city and the kingdom, and you could have had this weird little just cashing in on the Dino craze of the early nineties thing. Oh, that came out the same year as Jurassic Park, didn't it? Yeah, because uh. it did. Yeah, but uh, I think a year before. Either way, but they went. Some of their some of their crew went to uh, wherever they were filming or some whatever some shit for Jurassic Park. Right, like oh this is what okay okay cool because they had an animatronic uh, Yoshi for the movie that's in it for mm, two minutes maybe. Um, have you seen the new Mario Brothers movie with Chris Pratt? I have. Fuck Chris Pratt. But was <laughs> it was it predictable? I don't know. I didn't think that much about it. It was just a, it's based off of a video game. Literally, this one. Yeah. Of yeah. the two, I guarantee you this one doesn't. I guarantee you this one surprises you more than of the two. I can guarantee you that I probably enjoy the newer one more. <laughs> I can almost tell you right now, but 
regardless. And they did, um, I don't think it was a post-credits thing, but they did try to set up a sequel for this. That once this... <laughs> failed miserably. <laughs> I can't even... Once this sound happened... <laughs> Uh, they were like, yep, sure, nope, pulling the plug on that. And I don't think we got another Mario, any kind of movie until maybe maybe now. And that's part of why all this hoopla has come out about this is because of the Chris Pratt one coming out this year, being the 30th anniversary of the weird one. But uh, anyway, Super Mario Brothers 1993. Uh, I won't say it's one of my favorite movies, but I do every now and again enjoy just the oddball. I mean, Dennis, uh, no, not Dennis, uh, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo were mostly drunk the entire time because they had no idea what was going on. They were bored and they were like, fuck it. We'll just, (laughs) we'll just get hammered on scotch and then go in. And Bob Hoskins also broke his hand. Uh, there's a bit in there or if you look really closely, um, he has a cast on his hand. But they painted it pink to look like he did. A hand? To look, yeah. <laughs> I love that shit. So at some point, he looks like Hellboy. Why is his hand? One hand is so much bigger than the other. Possibly. Anyway, Mario 93. That's my number four. What's your number three? three. My number three is My Mind is All Sorts of Fucked Up Double Feature. Ooh, can I guess? <clears throat> sure. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Nope. I don't have any other guesses. <laughs> and then the subtitle of this one is multiple viewings of both of these films will likely be needed. I chose Memento and Shutter Island. Apparently I am a uh, Scorsese and Michael Mann heavy on, uh, in these lists because outside of Memento, Shutter Island is another Scorsese picture. I didn't know if you had seen that one. I hadn't. And here's why. Um, it looked from the ads. It, it was oh seven, oh eight, something like that. Maybe oh nine. It looked like it's all in his head, right? It's all in his own head. It's it, it's is it is that right? It's all in its own head. And then later, I did some reading, and I was like, yeah, it's all in its own head. Or is it? And I was like, I don't want to take that ride. Not your thing. Not my thing. Yeah. And I I love Scorsese movies. It's good. Um, the book because it's based off of um. It's based off of a novel, and the novel... Treasure Island? Yes. Robert Louis Stevenson's best work ever, Shutter <laughs> Island. Uh, um, the novel, you, when, when you go in completely blind, you have no idea what's going on. Sure, sure. And so that, it just builds. And like when I went to see it in the theater, um, Lisa was just like, I think I know what's going on. It, not all of it is in his head, but part of it is in his head. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, kind of like Memento. Yeah, like Memento, where Memento chronicles two completely separate stories of Leonard, and they kind of go back and forth, and you find out. That's that the one he, where he wakes up and he's tattooed. Yeah, okay. he's got tattoos to remind him of things that he's taking vengeance on someone who's killed his wife. And that's Michael Mann? Uh, no, that is Christopher Nolan. Okay. Yeah. But there's a lot of Michael. There was a, you know, several Michael Mann movies in because here. I thought that and then was there were several. That's, that's 96, 97? Memento? Yeah. 2001. Okay. Um, I, I and I think suck. Shutter Island is like 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. Um, but, you know, with Memento, one, one storyline moves forward in time, where the other one moves backwards, revealing more in, information each in time. And so 
with Shutter Island, it focuses on a, a U.S. Marshal, Teddy Daniels, who is going to a mental institute that is located on this island off of somewhere off of Massachusetts. Um, and before long, when he's there, he's, he starts to believe that he's been brought there as a part of a twisted plot by hospital doctors whose treatment ranges from illegal to sinister. And then you start to find out, like, I'm not I'm not going to spoil everything, but there's a there's enough of a twist at the end. You're like, oh, okay, oh, it's almost horror. It's horror esque, yeah, um, but not like full on horror. But it's it's got some horror elements to it and I, a mystery element to it, and it's and it's good. But it's one of the, once you figure out what the issue is when you reach the end, then you're like, I want to go back and see where that break is and what they're oh, trying okay. to do, and hmm. yeah. But those are those ones are kind of fun to watch just because you're like I want to go back and revisit that one again because what did I miss the kind of like Pulp time? Fiction yeah yeah like oh oh he dies in the middle of the movie what the hell wait he's back <laughs> what uh, wait what's he going wasn't, on he wasn't dead but what's fun with these is just you're dealing with a protagonist of your movie that is an unreliable narrator a narrator who's unable to trust his own mind um, and. You start with Memento, you leave yourself questioning if, you know, if time is real and you follow up with Shutter Island and you leave yourself questioning if you can trust your own memories. And then both are just great because they have that twist or surprise ending where you just want to go back, like I said, and just, I want to, I want to watch that one sure. again. What did I miss? Where is it that, uh, oh, okay, now I understand why that's going on there because of X, Y, and Z. But both are really good in, in that respects. So that's my number three is my mind is all sorts of fucked up double feature. Uh, my number three was going to be one movie, but I'm going to make it a double feature. And the second half of that double feature, I'm going to have to go from memory. Okay. But that double feature is the glam coked out rock opera of the mid seventies, which is Rocky horror picture show and Phantom of the Paradise. Okay, those ones pair very well. Yeah. I've seen both, but I haven't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show in forever. Ironically. But I borrowed Phantom of the... Phantasm of the... Fa- Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> Phantasm of the Paradise. It's literally Phantom of the Opera just set in, it, like, the... Weird s- 70s future, right? Yeah, yeah. What and the 70s thought the future would be. Now, do you know who directed that? Yeah, De Palma. Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's got his fucking thumbprint all over oh yeah it's like in in my opinion it's the de palma of de palma films you got your split screen which there's like a bomb set on a on on a uh, on a stage set yeah car and you see the phantom setting it and then you see it ticking and then you see in the other you see this the what the audience would at the the show would be seeing which is the right the beach boys-esque yeah performance that's going on yeah have, yeah. You, have you seen phantom yeah you, you saw, yeah you, you let me borrow that yeah. one i want this yeah. is weird you but. just told me that um <laughs> it's i i found phantom of the paradise um when i was like 15 or 16 my parents had just gotten back then it was called prime star now it's direct tv um and i just put on something when i went to bed one night before school uh on stars and i woke up to like the middle of that movie yeah, and I was like this? what the fuck is this Paul and Williams like, is in that one right yeah and he yeah. wrote he wrote a lot of the songs yeah he plays um 
his, his character's name is Swan. He's kind of like the mastermind of the show, or something yeah. kind of like it's, that. It's, well, it's it's a blend of um, it's a blend of Phantom of the Opera and Faust. Okay, the two sort of tragic tales, and um, it came out in '74. Yeah, I was gonna say it came out a couple years before he did Carrie. It was before he did. Yeah, Carrie. yeah. But what movie, ironically, gets? Which was Rocky Horror came out a year later. Oh yeah, that's right. And seventy five wasn't a success. Uh, it took it took years in like um, midnight showings and cult follow cult status. Like the cult yeah. movie, I think we talked about it in the yeah. cult movies actually. The Time Warp documentary where we for, yes yeah yeah um, it's called Time Warp and I think <laughs> the I talked three part to, series is called Time Warp for a reason because of Rocky yeah yeah now Rocky Horror was a stage show before it was a movie right just called Rocky Horror Show. But um, I think Once I talked a movie became the picture show, yeah. <laughs> which I mean works better. Yeah, I think I talked about it in that cult movies uh, episode. But my mom was uh, had never seen it, and my mom was kind of hip. She always read Rolling Stone, which is I guess what it took to be hip ah. where we grew up. But uh, she uh, she rented it. It was like the, it was nineteen ninety, like the fifteenth anniversary of Rocky Horror. And she was like, I'm just going to rent this and see what it's all about. She watched about 15 minutes of it and was like, this is fucking stupid. I'm not going to watch it. But that was, that exhausted our rental for the weekend <laughs> that we were allowed. I must have mouthed off or something and I didn't get to rent a tape or a Nintendo game or something. Right. So I was stuck with whatever mom rented, which was usually like fucking Miller's Crossing or some fucking grown up shit. Yeah. Like, I don't want to watch this at this time. I'm, yeah. I'm 10. And, and I was like, oh, fuck. Whatever. So I just put it in and I was like, again, like with Mario Brothers, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it just. I never. It was Tim always weird been, looking at the box art because typically it was just the lips, right? Yeah. Tim might have been too young for me to see it, but it's not like. There's no like graphic nudity no. or sex or murder. I mean, there's some violence in it and there's some a little bit of like gore, but. I don't remember it. I just remember like thinking like, and it's more like sexu- sexually promiscuous. Yeah, if anything, kind of like, naughty, kind of like not, funny, yeah. kind of British, kind of bad. It I hits was, so many different genres. It, it You're does. like, what are you going for here? I All re- of it. <laughs> I remember like it being done, like the movie going off, and like fuck, I'm gonna watch that again, just kind of like with Pulp Fiction. Like, what the fuck did I just watch? And been a fan since I was 10. And it's weird now because you watch it now and you're like, that's Susan Sarandon now. And that made, was that her first role? Or if not, it was one of her very it was her first, first. It was her first movie role, yeah. Okay. And then I remember. Um, None the guy, of them could sing. And then the guy uh, that he's that she's with. Barry Boswick. Up, yeah. He ends up playing like the mayor on Spin City later, yeah. like in a, that role. And I, he, he's in other stuff too, but that's. He has owned like. Uh, the guy that played Rocky Horror, the creation, the sex object. Yes, he almost immediately disavowed being a part of this. Really? movie. Yeah, he was embarrassed by it. But know. Barry Boswick is like he's figured, you know, like fuck, man, I'll a, take it. A I'll giant take... chunk of my fan base is, is because from of here. The, because because it means a lot to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, but Rocky Horror has a sweetness to it, like a like a tender of heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Phantom of the Paradise is more like that heart is a little rotted. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Like, there's a longing, but there's it's it's a little more lusty. <laughs> uh, Here, the heart is alive in Rocky Horror. You go to Phantom, and the heart is dead, dying. Yeah, or dying. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and I can see that. That that would be 
an ultimate uh, grindhouse double feature. Because the soundtracks to both are fucking amazing. And what's funny, too, is watching when I... Because you had me watch Phantom of the Paradise... Did you like it? It was all right. Okay. It was... It's a Travis It's not movie. my thing, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but I I wanted to watch it because knowing it was De Palma and I had not seen it before as well, just being that kind of nerd. Sure. But the guy who plays the um, the Phantom or, mm-hmm. or whatever is in several of De Palma's pictures yeah. before and after, and I had not known that until I had watched this. And I'm like, oh, and then I saw his movie Sisters from early 70s with <clears throat> um, Lois Lane. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Margaret Her, Kidder. Margaret Kidder. If for no other reason, and he's in that, get on YouTube. Get on YouTube and look up Phantom of the Paradise, uh, Swan press conference, and he brings up. Uh, he's at a podium, right? And okay. there's a black bar that floats over his podium, like his logo on the podium, and it looks like an afterthought, and it looks like a joke. Because the label on his podium was Swan Song. And that's Led Zeppelin's publishing company. Oh. And in 1974, Led Zeppelin said, no, the fuck you are not. And, <laughs> well, it'll cost you this. And they went, oh. Everything with. with we can't afford was, that. We yeah. can't afford that. So they had to go in and animate. They had to literally Greek out. They had to black out the Swan Song. It wasn't, it wasn't Zeppelin's Swan Song logo, right. but it just said Swan Song because his character's name is Swan. They had to literally go in and animate a blackout over it because they'd already shot and like processed the movie, so they couldn't go back and reshoot it. Yeah, there's there's the stuff with Led Zeppelin where they're like, you can use ours, but it's going to cost you this much, and that's why you rarely have songs from Led Zeppelin in in yeah, films as well. Because that's it's a like, whole other podcast yeah, about where Led Zeppelin songs come from. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it ain't England. I'm telling you that. <laughs> It's it's real easy to write real cool bluesy rock hits if the guy that wrote them in Mississippi in the 30s yeah. didn't copyright them. So anyway, that's my number three. It's a uh, double feature, late night double feature. Yeah, that would definitely be a picture late night. show, Rocky Horror and Phantom of the Paradise. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is the what I consider the two greatest modern L.A. film noir double feature. Or, okay. or the subtitle is Corruption Runs Real Deep in Los Angeles. Can I guess? Yes. L.A. Confidential? Yes. Uh, usual Suspects? No, because that's not in Los Angeles. Or part of part it is. Of it but, does. But it's not. Red, it. Redfoot is out there. I know. But most of it takes place. Well, part of it takes place in here. Either, either way, no. Mulholland Falls. Chinatown. Oh! oh don't worry about it, Nathan. It's just Chinatown. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, for those not familiar, Chinatown is a private detective hired to expose an adulterer in 1930s. Los Angeles finds himself caught up in a web of deceit, corruption, murder, and some uh, incest. <laughs> Not himself, but just in general. Just, uh, some, just in general. What's that? What's the last thing he said? Did I catch a niner uh, in there? A niner in there? Were you calling from your sister's pussy? <laughs> My sister. No, my daughter's pussy. My sister's pussy. <laughs> All right. That's gross. Um... It's the unorthodox setting of, you know, sunny Southern California rather than the long and dark shadows of larger metropolises on the East Coast. You know, Chinatown kind of thrust uh, it, it trusts that its viewers are just as observant as Giddis, but you're just kind of exposed to the mystery that he's unfolding at the same time. You're kind of with him. You're with him. Yeah. You do not know before he does. Yeah. 
Um, and so the audience only knows just as much as Giddis and just it makes each twist uh, as shocking as it needs to be. And I think Chinatown, the its atmosphere relies on tone um, with a very well-written tight script that's just been seen in many ways as one of the upper echelon of Detective originals. Yeah, yeah, scripts. But I think what also works with this one is it's beautifully messy open and it has a brutal ending. Like it doesn't end well. No. At all. And it doesn't end happy. No. But I think because of that, that's why in many ways it's also regarded so well. You couldn't have made that movie any other decade really other than the 70s for the most part. Unless you go way back to where the time place takes like taking place in the 30s. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been as gritty. No, it wouldn't have. You wouldn't have got his nose all slit open. <laughs> Correct. You've talked about that in some other picks. I may have. You played it may the clip have been of, like you, perfect movies or something. Maybe you played the clip of somebody after he got his nose cut. I like breathing through it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I like my nose. I like breathing through it. <laughs> uh, the other one with LA Confidential is just as corruption grows in 1950s Los Angeles, three policemen, one straight laced, one brutal, and one sleazy, investigate a series of murders with their own brand of justice. And it's just like nothing is is binary between the trinity of these protagonists, but they all eventually find a common ground. And that's what's really fun about this movie. And they kind of subvert where you think they're going to go. Is not the Black Dahlia murder kind of rolled into that one? Not that one specifically, but the James Elroy who wrote this book that the movie is based off of wrote a Black Dahlia okay. uh, book, which I that, think— And they made a movie out of that with— uh, That was a De Palma movie. That I've never seen Black Dahlia because I've heard it's gotten terrible reviews. I think I watched it right after it came out on video back in the day. I don't— And I think he I also wrote Black Dahlia because I think his mother was also— and I don't know if his mother was Black Dahlia or his mother had the same kind of scenario where she ended up being raped did, and murdered and decapitated. And, did you know we had dogs? Yes. Three of them. Yeah. Sorry about that. Bongo Sorry to you, the, the listeners. Bongo is the most he's vocal. The, yeah, he's the he's the uh, tenor, the top one. <laughs> soprano? Bongo Soprano. The, the annoying one. Um, but it's fun because the line between good cop and bad cop is blurred when you got Ed Exley and Ed Bud White and then Jack Vincennes. They all kind of have to work together where in a, in an area where they're normally not comfortable with, where Ed Exley, the straight lace, is he has to start to kind of blur the lines to get where he needs to go, normally being a black and white kind of guy. And, and Bud, who's the brutal, violent one, you know, you just have all of them having to go into an area where. Is that the one where they go investigate the some shit out in the desert after they've blown up the bomb and the, the sand has turned to glass? Or is that. That's something else. Completely. That's Mulholland Falls. That's, that's Mulholland completely Falls. completely different. That's Mulholland Falls, not Mulholland Drive. You just ruined it. No. <laughs> that's, that's the one with Nick Nolte in it. It's you know, Mulholland Falls. And it's just fun because you get – at first glance, the characters are just archetypes. But as the film progresses, you know, and the plot tangents and, and twists, characters grow out of their genre tropes. And that's what's really fun because Ed Exley has to do everything that he's told 
he's not capable of doing in order to become a detective in order to fix the problem at the end of the movie. Like you can't, you got to know how to shoot someone in the back because they can't, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? When he's talking to his corrupt police captain at the time, can you bend these rules in order to be a good detective? And no, I can't, I can't do these. And then this is the only thing, this is the only way for me to resolve it is to do everything you just told me in order to fix the issue that you started here. (laughs) And so I think that's fun in that respect, but it's also interesting because this one, kind of resolves itself and kind of puts a nice little bow at the end where Chinatown's the polar opposite. But it's it's fun to watch. Well, Chinatown just ends with his buddy telling him, like, forget it. Which is the... You knew what was going to happen. Ah, fuck it. Let's go bowling. Yeah. Basically. Fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling <laughs> is like the Chinatown answer. Yeah. Fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. And that's and that's what's fun to watch with these movies is you kind of have the the pre World War Two mm. and then the post World War Two idea of the romanticized Los Angeles, and then it just completely destroys that beautiful sunshine filled dream that you think this is what L A is. Sure, all the seedy underbelly shit that's going on, but those are two really good. Those are probably my favorite. Modern noir, modern, modern noir. noir movies. Yeah. That's a good pick. Um, <clears throat> I was going to go with my number two. Uh, pretty sure we've already talked about So I Married an Axe Murderer. We have at one point, So I fuck that movie. I'm <laughs> uh, making a, a game day, uh, making a, a fourth quarter change in lineup, and I'm doing a double feature. Uh, so we're going to have to riff on this one. <laughs> uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh-huh. And Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Is it inspired by the shirt that you're wearing? I did. <laughs> I did look down at my notes and I was like, oh, fuck, I know we've talked about it. So I married an axe murderer because I fucking hate Mike Myers, but I love that movie. Anyway, and I'm wearing. Fuck you. Fuck you. My shirt is. Uh, Death. Uh, William. Uh, Sadler. Sadler. Thank you. He is so good as Death. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Talk about play two- all of the different games. Including Twister, don't they like play several different games? They play Twister, they play Clue, they play um, uh, like uh, Do they actually electric p- air soccer or uh, oh um, table hockey? Yeah, table hockey uh, because they have to beat death in a challenge yeah. and they beat him and then he's like because that's a play on like the seventh seal or whatever because the they're playing Ingmar, chess Ingmar Bergman yeah. yeah well they start with chess okay yeah, and they beat him in chess. Uh, because they here's the thing: every like, they, single game. The and we're just gonna we're just gonna barf Bill and Ted stuff again <laughs> for the next few minutes. So sorry. Um, <laughs> shocker! My favorite is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because that's the one I've well, it's the one I've seen the most. I'm I'm sure you have. I haven't seen it as many times, but I actually bought a um, it's more a Shout Factory double it's feature just, of the two. They yeah, have a bunch of special features. I haven't even broken into that one yet. Excellent Adventure is just like a fun little like could have played and boom and been done. Yeah. And then they were like, hey, what if they go to hell? What if they, what if they, what if we kill them? <laughs> okay. And then what? And they, they go can, to hell. And they got to work their way back. And they got to get back from hell. I'm like, wait, what? Okay. So anyway, they die, killed by uh, <laughs> bad robot uses from the future. Yeah, right. Um, so then when they die, they meet death and they have to, to, to be, to be able to go back to the the realm of the living, they have to beat him at a game. And he's this, when he first shows up, he is stoic grim reaper. 
and then they beat him at like chess or whatever. Did. best like, two out of three or something like shit like that doesn't he do that okay best two out of three and then he the two out of three it smash cuts to him reading a standing there holding a card and them sitting at a table again in like this big opulent castle and he turns around and he goes i believe colonel mustard did it in study with candlestick you're like wrong, dude. It was Professor Plum, and he's like, "I said Plum." No, you said mustard. Yeah, and he's like, "Don't think ah. doesn't he do the you sank my battle shit?" Yeah, then they yeah. Play, <laughs> Then the next one is best of five, and then the next one is like E four. <laughs> e four. You have sunk my, my battle ship. <laughs> That's right. And then ah, they're playing Twister or something, and they, he goes up. Uh, Bill and Ted look at him anticipating what he's going to say, and they go, best of seven? Damn right! (laughs) So death becomes their friend. Yes. Uh, And then it's just an incomprehensibly weird... It is a very Bogus journey. Yeah, Yeah, Bogus journey is a very Excellent Adventure is a nice, fun romp through, like, space and time of two, like, idiots that are supposed to save humanity in the future. Yes. And by their, making sure they pass their history exam, but save they're going to save us with their rock and roll uh, by passing their history exam, and uh, the person that guides them through this is perfectly cast, mm-hmm. George Carlin. Yeah, as Rufus. Rufus, what's up, my excellent? Does Rufus show dudes? up at all in uh, Bogus Journey? Because I can't remember. Yeah, it's beginning and the end. Okay, he's Mrs. Wardrobe. He's like they probably got him for a day. Okay, maybe two. It was a cameo, not a. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, like I said, it's been a minute, and I believe I I had not watched it in a while. And then when Face the Music, the third one, came out in 2020, where yeah. they weren't showing it in theaters hardly anywhere, you streamed it. It did because they made it available, and before I wanted to see it, um, I'm like, I need to refresh my memory on Bogus Journey, so I ended up watching. Excellent more, adventure, bogus journey to go. Oh, okay, this was funnier than I remember. I didn't. Yeah. I don't. I remember not enjoying it the first time I saw it because it was such a different flip. It on the flips like like quite a, a bit. Dime, yeah. Station, dude. Station is. I still say sometimes <laughs> if something goes good. Um, station. Yeah, and so I watched those two, and then watching Face the Music, so I could see it. And when they finally put it in the theater. The theater was empty. Like people were asking for it, now no one's here. I'm like, that's because they asked for it three weeks ago, and you finally decided to release it, and now everybody. It didn't do be- well, did it? I don't think it did very well in the theaters because of COVID more than anything yeah. else. It wasn't bad, but it was another coin flip. It, yeah, it, it was took a. Let's uh, bring it, our kids into it, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Which I mean, it was they, it was okay. Which is how they ended the first one, Little Ted and Little Bill. Yeah. And they didn't bother to say what gender they were at the beginning at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. There's a fun little cameo okay. of William Sadler at the end. I of, thought that was that happens. Yeah, he's the British dad. My word. Uh, and then he plays. Uh, he's in the first episode of Tales from the Crypt. He's the uh, guy that flips the switch on the electric chair. And then he is uh, Breaker in Demon Knight. Mm, okay. And then he's in Die Hard too. He is, and he's, he's also in Shawshank Redemption. William is Sadler he, is he one of the screws? Uh, no, he's one of the group. He's the okay. one that wants to play uh, he's Hank so... Williams when they when they finally get the library and they get uh-huh. they get the records that they can listen to. He's the one that's singing to Hank Williams with the headphones on and shit. He's so fucking good, man. Yeah, I he's love great. He's he's a great character actor. He really is. He's such an expressive face. Like, and he can play such a dick in like 
in some movies too, like really well. Like in Die Hard 2, he plays a really good villain. I mean, yeah, it's, a, he does. it's not it's a, a great sh- It's a shit movie, but, but he's yeah, a good, he's he's a good, good villain. villain. Uh, and you see his ass the first time you see him. He's out he's there doing, doing like, like Tai Chi weird, nude. <laughs> I was going to say yoga, yeah. Oiled up nude yoga. But, right. Uh, my my favorite character of William Sadler is always going to be death yeah. because it's just damn right. It's just always fucking... He's got a lot of range. He's like a more... Um, interesting uh, William Defoe, kind of. Um, they kind of have, you know what I mean? They kind of have a similarity in that. In, in I think like they keep me. pace with each other, I guess. Yeah. I think more people know Willem, Willem Defoe. Yeah. Uh, huh. That's interesting. I, uh, looking I'll, at the I'll, picture, I realized, well, William Defoe could have played that because it kind of looks like him A little bit. Well. Yeah. I mean, but he's full on. They could be he's, brothers. He's full on the Grim Reaper from Ingmar Bergman's. Yeah. And then they said that in a documentary. Yeah. Anyway, gang, that's my uh, that's my number two. Uh, my Bill and Ted double feature, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Nathan, what's your number one? My number one is the David Fincher serial killer double feature. Oh, Seven and Zodiac? Yep. Oh, fuck me, The dude. subtitle was, do you really need another reason to watch these two incredible movies? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Oh, um, man. I, I think it's... Uh, fun to watch these because you really get to watch Fincher at his finest. Like it, this muted, like, pukey green colors. Yeah, and you get like you really finally get Fincher's first movie where he wasn't um, castrated, castrated by, by the studio Fox. and yeah. the yeah. And so he makes seven, and so you get the two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, my hunting favorite, down a serial killer who's using the seven deadly sins as his motives. My favorite line from Seven is uh, what's in the box no it's detective mills looking at somerset and he and like sitting on the desk sideways and going honestly have you ever seen anything like that yeah and like and then uh, he goes and and somerset goes no like (laughs) that's 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 mills going i'm fucking scared yeah and somerset going and arlie ermy as their captain is (sighs) you know what dude i'm your i'm kind of like your mentor but like no i'm pretty fucking scared too yeah, yeah, and then my second favorite line is when, for some reason, Arlie Ermy's character just walks through and picks up the phone and goes, "This is not even my desk." And puts oh, the phone that's back so down. funny! <laughs> this isn't even my desk. That's the best. I think I fuck. I, I love Seven. I love where the two are so polar opposite, but they still have that common cause. They just uh, want to do. They want to. They want to do good in they the w- world. They want to do good in the world. And when he's like, you can tell that Mills is like, I'm. I'm not ready for what <laughs> we've come to. And Somerset is like, this is my last case, most likely. And he goes to the library and he's like, how about this for some culture with the other guys that are just playing poker and they play some classical like Bach. And he's going through and starting to pull everything on the seven deadly uh, sins. on the seven deadly sins and all of these classical uh, writers. And what's so fun is he gives the information. He's like, I can't do this, and gives the information to Mills, and Mills has no idea what he's reading. The Marquis de Chade. And then when the, when the dude shows up, he's like, thank you, officer, and gives him all of the uh, – uh, what were the uh, – damn it. Cliff Don- notes. The oh, Cliff's notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. To break down all of the shit that I would need when I had an English class on a book that I had no clue how to break those down. I'm like, I need more help than what I can give myself. Cliff's notes were very helpful. And when he gives them that paper sack and he throws it down and it spills out and it's like 
four or five Cliff's Notes on all of the authors or books of the shit that he's got to know. I, I, I related to that because I knew, <laughs> like, I, I can't get I'm, this. I'm over my head. No, I'm, I'm, way over my head. My, I'm way over my head. Oh. But the, you, you get that meticulousness of what Fincher was as a filmmaker and not being castrated, and he can really make this, like a, this incredible film. And so what's what was always fun to me in seeing that film was how much my buddy Ryan wanted to see this movie. And we both go and see it. And I was kind of indifferent. We get to the end. And I'm like, that was fucking amazing. And Ryan was just like, uh, this is a little too dark for me. <laughs> I remember, I'm pretty sure I either saw that on video or it was it would have been on HBO or whatever when I saw it. And I was like, just coming into my own and like discovering music that I liked that wasn't what I got from my parents. And Nine Inch Nails was one of those. And I knew Nine Inch Nails had done something on the soundtrack, which might have led to me watching yeah. it to some degree or another. And the, they use it in the best way in that credit. The end credits like, start and the credits go backwards. Yes, the credits go backwards. And the, I think it's. And I was like, this movie is fucking perfect. Yeah. This You're is, like, why are the credits going backwards? I knew exactly why. Yeah, that, it just that's that's how you and end the music, that movie. The music just was perfect, and the opening credits used like bits of like um, closer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so did the end. Yeah, yeah. Like, part of it feels like it's played. It's played in reverse too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought. And I just remember like watching that movie and like being. I mean, just being gobsmacked that, and like. And there's you don't you don't need to know what's in the box. He tells he tells you what's in the box, and you can picture it. Yeah, because and then it's soggy and <laughs> probably a little ripe. A little, yeah, probably a little moist. Uh, definitely doesn't smell good. Yeah. Um, there's no better way to end that movie than with those credits. And I think Brad Pitt had just Backwards enough star power that he was not going to. He like, didn't overshadow it. Yeah. Because now he'd And I think, well, not just that. I think he had just enough star power in that movie, too, that he wasn't going to film it unless they made the ending of how it was written. I think there was some type of contractual obligation that the studio, like with Fincher and Brad Pitt, that they would not do it unless they filmed the right ending. Like, I think they didn't want to do that ending. Because it was a little too fucked up and dark. But I'm like, no, you have to do it that way. That's how it is. That's it's shakespearean yeah it's yeah um but then zodiac yeah let's talk about zodiac for a minute (laughs) then you get zodiac and you get you get fincher about 10 12 years later it was like soon after we got married i remember going seeing this in in the theater as well and i'm like this is like there's so much shit and information being thrown at you but it's done just right you're not really a true crime fan are you enough but not yeah i'm i'm a pretty big true crime fan and the zodiac isn't my favorite case or whatever right but this one narrowed everything down into it's one of the most fascinating because they never to this day they they don't know they still think there's there's a couple of schools out there even in the last year they think they've narrowed down his dna right but they 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 still can't nope don't know who it is yeah like the motherfucker he was a ghost dude there's also i think I think what one of the initial theories was is they think they thought it may have been more than one person. Like it was like copycats, a copycats, or it just was kind of happening, not at the same time, but it was never the same person. But someone was huh. mimicking, which is very possible. But 
Fincher's film is I think it's probably one of his best movies. Um it's very underrated. It's underrated. Uh but it has the creepiest scene. Ugh. We and know that we know, talked about. We talked about, yeah. There's not a lot like of houses scariest... in the basements in California. Oh, yeah. I have my a, house has a basement. Roger Rabbit goes Get out of there. <laughs> Get out of there, Eddie. It's <laughs> And what's worse is he was likely not the killer, but man, they shot that like you thought he was. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just so meticulously crafted mm-hmm. that film. And I tried reading the book that Gray Smith wrote. Uh-huh. And to me, I couldn't his writing style, narrative structure just didn't work for me. Um, but this, of course, I tried to do it after I saw the movie. Sure, sure, sure. Because I'm like, oh, more information. But I'm like, no. I think they narrow it down just right in this film that you're you're peppered with a lot of information, but it, the, it flows so well. And they imply, which is what Graysmith was implying at the end of the book, is that he believed that um, – I can't remember – the person's name that they actually interview towards the end that they believe that's who it is. I don't remember either. It's uh, Drew Carey's um, brother. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> yes. He was at the painting party with Correct. Uh, the nurse Donna. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember his name. But either. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah that's There's, who they think – that's who Graysmith thought it was. And so yeah. that the movie leans in that direction towards the end, but they know that My, even then they still don't solve it. And so it underperformed at the box office, and then the studio was not happy because it well it had an ambiguous ending. I'm like, that's because no one knows. Have you seen a David Fincher film? God damn it! You don't go to his movies for a fucking clean resolution. You go to his movies so you can talk about it later. Yeah, because you're in a good mood and you're just too fucking happy today, and you need to be brought down a peg or three. (laughs) Fuck you! God damn it! Um, My favorite thing about the movie Zodiac is the meta fucking ness of it that during the crimes they made a movie about a detective (laughs) chasing a zodiac type killer based on the zodiac right that was still which was dirty an open case yeah which was dirty harry and he and then they never commented on it at all yeah the zodiac never commented on it right and i think what i find even funnier is you don't and I don't know if I ever realized that until when I watched Zodiac and then they like the detectives go to see Dirty Harry and they're pissed and they off. Fuck it, they don't like each other. Yeah. Yeah. Gray Smith and the reporter don't like each other. Yeah. And they're pissed off, too, when they when the when the detectives see the movie, too, because they're just like. You can't just shoot the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then well, when you're like, Eastwood, you can. <laughs> and part of me wonders if. Like, they got that movie rushed through to try to goad the Zodiac right. into coming out of out, coming out of his open, shell a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, so nope. they could stick his head up a little bit higher than it normally would have, so they could have caught him. And I, it's it's like what you said. I, I've not heard the theory that it's more than one person, but um, um, he was either more than one person or way smarter than that and saw through that ruse and... Did what he did. I think the last Zodiac letter was in 74, 75. Uh, and then he's gone. Yeah. And I don't mean to glorify, the, Zodi- Sosa. Yeah, I don't mean yeah, to glorify yeah. the Zodiac. He's no. a piece of shit. Um, but as far as not getting caught goes, kudos. Right. Because there's fucking D- there's DNA. Dude, they caught the, the East Area Rapist off of 
DNA. It wasn't twenty three and Me, but it, I don't what, I don't know what one it was. But yeah, off of DNA, familial DNA, and they still don't know who this fucking guy is. Yeah, and that's what's <laughs> that's what's chilling about it. Yeah, I, like my my last note on this one is just here. You just get to watch Fincher at his finest and his rather meticulous self. A filmmaker whose attention to detail, panache for violence, skill of building incredible suspense pays off. You called it. Viewer. You called it uh, building doom. Yeah, a suspense or a, a sense of doom. Yeah. in the alien episode, and I think that was a great description. He <laughs> there, builds. He builds a sense of doom, but a quiet doom. Like yeah. it's not a Rob Zombie doom. It's a it's a Trent Reznor doom. Yeah, it, it's it, a it's underbelly. There's some, there's a lot more where that came from, but you're never gonna see it by the time it's, it's about to engulf you. You haven't the slightest idea. Yeah, about you don't see it coming. Yeah, yeah, and that's what works so great with, uh, with those two movies. So yeah, that's my my final my number one double feature. Well, I'm gonna close out this episode and this series, uh, not nearly as uh, in depth as that. <laughs> um, biblical epics of the '40s, '50s, and '60s were so huge. Uh, so they almost stood themselves up to be parodied by the likes of Monty Python and Mel Brooks. Uh, my number one, my final pick six, my final double feature episode, I guess, uh, is going to be Holy Moses and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Holy Moses. I figured, like you, were gonna, I figured you were going to say Life of Brian. <laughs> no, Life, a- Life of Brian's good too, but... <laughs> Uh, Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is like the Holy Grail of biblical send up epic yeah. movies. Because uh, they had no budget. Uh, I don't, Mel Brooks like partially produced Holy Moses. It wasn't his movie. Um, if you want to see what he does, he just watched History of the World Part One. <laughs> yeah, just part one. Just part one. Don't watch the series. Um, That's terrible. It looked terrible. It is. Um, but Holy Moses is like a. GoBots version of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> GoBots. Aldi brand, if you will. Sweet Valley, if you will. The uh, great Sam's value. Choice. But it's still really funny. John Ritter shows up as the devil. Um, like right after Nathan, you know more Bible stuff than me. What's the one where, oh, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, 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 Herschel, it's uh, okay. uh, Dudley Moore plays Herschel. He's the, he's the side... His his story parallels Moses's. Okay, he's Moses's brother-in-law, <laughs> and he's he's leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. And John Ritter is dressed as like your Halloween devil, like with the oh, red leotard yes, and okay. the cape and the trident, and then he's got the red little hoodie and the horns, and he's just sitting there waiting on all the the condemned souls to come out. And Herschel isn't dead because he averted his eyes, right? Yes. So and he then did. John Ritter John Ritter plays this really plaintive fucking version of Satan. <laughs> he's just like, see what happened over there. No, what? You know, Dudley Moore. God destroyed that whole city and that other city. It's because people are having a good time. No, it's that way. Yep. Just over there. Yep. He's just like ushering people, you know, to hell. And he just... It's a shame, really. Just so many lives. Well, what do you do? And he gets up and he just walks off. Better to play Satan than John Ritter because he plays it so John Ritter. He plays it just like fucking John Ritter. Um, and then of course uh, Richard Pryor plays um, Pilot. 
talks about Moses coming. Moses came into all his bad stuff, Jack. Talking about turned a staff into a snake. And that's right. It's the most uh it's the most uh Richard Pryor impression I'm gonna do. <laughs> uh Dom DeLuise is in it, and he plays Caesar. Madeline Kahn is just sex with two legs. Oh, she's great. And then of course you got Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's Flames. Uh, Flames on the side of side of my face, heave, heaving. That's from Clue. Our first uh, season, <laughs> <laughs> which is still uh, available. No, it's not for another not. year. Yeah, it is. Um, Depends on when you listen. My my, uh, it's not my favorite thing about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but they had two directors, which is always a good idea. Um, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Yes. Okay. Uh, Terry Gilliam went on to be a really good director. Just odd. Yeah. I love Terry Gilliam stuff. Some of his stuff is. I almost said avant garde, but it's not quite. No. Not quite but he's, he's definitely just... not locked into a genre. No. But he has, he's almost his own genre. He's locked into a style. Yeah. But not a genre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he wanted to go one way, and then Terry Jones, who played uh, Sir Bedivere, uh, uh, or uh, the waitress trying to serve them spam. Yes. Um, or uh, Mr. Creosote. Yes. In uh, Meaning of Life. Um, he's kind of the longest character in the movie, Sir Bedivere. He starts off. Anyway, uh, they kind of they butted heads on what they were going to do here and there. But where they could agree was they had no fucking budget. So you got like a lot of the single takes or everybody knows they used the coconuts. <laughs> Because they had no budget for horses, so they <laughs> they just made it a python thing. It works. It does. It works so well. It shouldn't. And I think but I talk does. about this. Did I talk about this in sick day movies? Now that I think about it, maybe. My mom brought it home, and it was another you, one of those. That's very possible. I was sick from school, and my mom brought it home at lunch, and I'd taken a slug or two of Nyquil, and I watched it in and out of sleepiness, and I was like, "What in the fuck is this?" <laughs> like I, I a lot of the weird shit that I I enjoy to my mom. For her just either going like, yeah, he'll fucking like this one, or like, I think he'll like this one. This is fun. One of the two. Whichever one it was, like, you you did a good job, Mom. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to be all right. <laughs> you did good. You you done good, kid. You did good, Mrs. Yost. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you guys haven't seen, uh, I think most of you have probably seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but go check out Holy Moses. Uh, it's it's like some movie two movies with holy in the title. Yeah, it's, no, but, <laughs> but well, it's spelled W H O L L Y. So he's like totally Moses. Holy Moses. Holy Moses. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, All right, that's good because it's like a mix up. between uh, Mel Brooks humor and Monty Python humor. Um, Half well, the cast members, it sounded like, was were in a lot of Mel Brooks stuff anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Madeline Kahn, Dom DeLuise, Richard Pryor. Um. There's a wraparound story with Holy Moses, too. Like, he's on a, a bus tour of, like, Israel, which I would not advise doing right now. Um, and he <laughs> finds himself lost in a cave, and he finds a lost book of the Bible, the book of Herschel, who is the brother-in-law of Moses. Okay. And he's found very much the same way as Moses. Actually, Life of Brian would be more of a parallel to Holy Moses because they're both like— That's right. Every time you say Holy Moses, all I get in my head is the Elton John song. <laughs> What's that? Moses, I have been removed. I have seen 
Okay, I can't listen anymore to that, dude. I'm going to start crying. Um, Elton John. <clears throat> I've never heard that song. Wow. That's good. Yeah. It does sound I would imagine you know other Elton John stuff. Just oh, I love Elton John. Yeah, just I didn't know that one. Okay. It does sound a bit like Changes by Black Sabbath and that little um, turnaround they do. Mm, no, I'd, I'd um, have to pull that one up because not now, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now that we spent the, the last 15 minutes going the, through this song. Not in the <laughs> sense that you think I said I did. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that was what would go through my head every fine. time you'd say "Holy Moses," and as a kid, that's what I thought the song was called, "Border Song" by Elton John. But yeah, and that's my number one and my final pick six uh, entry: uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and "Holy Moses." Nathan, we got one more episode up coming up left for you: a series series finale. Two of the greatest films ever made. I would probably say the two greatest films ever made, but we can talk about it next time. <laughs> yeah. They are what? The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2. Oh, man. Not three. Not three. No. We can discuss a little bit about Part 3 and why. I don't... In my opinion, it doesn't work, but that's... You know, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah. probably, we'll have to touch on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why we wouldn't. No, we're going to, uh, I'm going to take a quick turnaround here, gang, and get this edited up for you, hopefully for your Thanksgiving time, uh, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get together, talk about the Godfather, uh, really the two Godfather movies, because anybody yeah. gives a fuck about the third one. Uh, it'll get that turned around, hopefully for your Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I might just do more like an alien, uh, thing with this one and just talk about the two movies as, uh, huh. As opposed to two separate movies. As a hall. But I might do like my two favorite, my favorite scene from each movie. Uh, yeah. You know, that That's kind of fine. thing. But still our show. We'll do what we want. <laughs> we'll do what we want. God damn it. Um, so yeah, look for that gang. Uh, we'll be back for, uh, for the Godfather Christmas Super Spectacular <laughs> series ending. <laughs> series finale. And uh, between now and then, gang... Stay off the moors. Six Pack Double Feature is a Clopec Media production. You can like and follow them on Facebook at Six Pack Double Feature Podcast and on Instagram at Six Pack Double Feature. They aren't on Twitter because Twitter is dumb. <laughs>